all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk to founders, operators, and investor investors about all things value creation with startups. Today, I am with Will Dolphin, also known as Bill Dolphin, uh, who is a career CEO and founder and value creator within startups, uh, recently uh, uh, sold Q Squared, which was a digital health company uh, slash fintech company and has a long history of experiences working in biotech and med device, uh, as well as software IT. So, Bill, how you doing? Yes, well, thank you very much, David. It's a real pleasure to speak with you. And I apologize for the background. I'll put this out here. I just moved, so I'm still in a bit of a mess here. But thanks for the introduction. Are you getting evicted or? <laughs> Some days it feels like that, I'll tell you. No, we just we just moved into a new home, so... <laughs> Good. Well, it's been a couple of years. You only look like you aged a little bit. So. Yeah, I, yeah. Is, you know, I, oh, the, these years they they take a toll on you, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it further. But startups, great fun. <laughs> <laughs> and so, last time we talked, you were CEO of one of uh, uh, my former firm's healthcare IT companies, which was in the patient engagement space, uh, which we merged with uh, with another EHR company, and then since then. You started a, uh, a payments company, and I'd love to talk to you about a little bit about your background leading up to that, as well as kind of what where we where, what happened with Q squared. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, as you, you mentioned, uh, I was working with the uh, patient portal company, um, and we kind of got out of that with the skin of our teeth. Um, you know, I, I was brought in there to turn it around. It was a bit of a, a train wreck, and uh, we we got it up together, uh, profitable. And then I think we, we got out in a, in a reasonable condition. But yeah, during during the patient uh, portal. But patient don't worry, Bill. The next the next CEO screwed it up. So. <laughs> well, I I'm not. You know, it's who knows. <laughs> we we did actually a good job pulling it together. You did. We you were. did a great job. It's a, it's a shame we put that asset with that other asset. But yeah, another that story. A, that was a mistake. But um, yeah, just a, a little bit of my background. Um, I, I'm uh, essentially an academic gone bad. I was a professor of biomedical engineering at Boston University for a number of years. And uh, during that time, I started my first company, a company called Sonamed, which was a medical device company. And that came about because my first child had a hearing impairment. And uh, I started with, there must be a better way to test hearing. We built a system which is now used throughout the year world. And uh, I sold that on to a NASDAQ company. And uh, after that, I started uh, international travel. So I was uh, in a company called Spectrinet, which was near infrared spectroscopy down in New Zealand, then over to uh, Australia, where I was running another medical device company. We did a reverse merger to buy a listed company in regenerative medicine uh, that we turned into a NASDAQ listing here in the US. And then Omedics, we learned an awful lot about patient portals and patient behavior and how they don't like to use portals. 
And that's what turned into Q squared, which was a, a really simple uh, idea, make it easy for a patient to make their payments. And that's what we did. So starting from the beginning, you saw a pain point with your own family, and then you just jumped from being an academic into creating a medical device. So, I mean, like, how did that, like, where did, how did that just, like, <laughs> come into fruition? I mean, did, did you have an entrepreneurial itch as a, as a younger man, or did you have somebody pushing you? No, I have to say I, I, I didn't. Um, you know, it, and, and I kind of, I, I apologize to my brother. Uh, he's in sales and in business. When I was a professor, you know, I used to kind of, speak a little disparagingly of business and, and sales. And of course, once you start your, your first business, then you find a good salesperson and it's, oh, <laughs> please. Uh, so I, I learned an awful lot. But yeah, what, what really came about was uh, there was a real need and, and I had some skills. And because I was doing testing, my, my work was in uh, what's called computational biophysics, that we were trying to model how the auditory system works in noisy backgrounds. And in doing that, I was doing a, a lot of testing of people and animals, which was kind of interesting. And as I say, my first daughter um, had a hearing impairment and it wasn't detected until she was over two years old and said, there's got to be a better way to do that. So that's what started it. And then uh, with encouragement from my wife, he said, let's turn this into a business. And I learned an awful lot during that. Boy, I talk about some scars. I made some big mistakes, but uh, it went through and it went, actually it turned out to be very, very successful and very good. So that was a six-year journey. So you kind of played to your, your strengths as being a, um, uh, a researcher and a scientist, you know, doing a lot of the testing, but then you actually had to start interfacing with the other business units, right? With the sales, the marketing, and and you know the finance. So, how was that transition of actually taking ownership of these other of these other uh, competencies? Well, it, it was it was a great journey, um, and it really opened my eyes to really just what uh, what else is out there, and and all the different aspects of a business and how complicated a, a business really is when you start running it, working with people. I. I I like to think that I'm a, a fairly good leader and good with people. And so, you know, bringing on teams and we talk about success and various things like that, of course, but it, it's not one person. It, it's never the CEO. In fact, I'm the least important person. What's really important is getting the team around me, people who can do things that I can't do. And so firstly, when I started the first company, I, I really had no good con concept of manufacturing. Uh, of basic sales of things such as finances. I mean, I could learn these things, but we started to bring on the real people who could run it. And that's really what made all the difference. And so, you know, as a as an academic, I'll, I'll make my confession here. I was a bit arrogant. And, uh, you know, very, very quickly, you, you kind of get slapped down. You recognize, I don't understand how to do this. I don't know what goes on here. I don't know, you know how to make these relationships. How do you build a sales team? How do you put manufacturing together you know and of course in the lab you know you, you build things that a, a graduate student can work on but now we wanted to have the medical testing this was a device that was going out to the newborn nurseries and so we needed to have volunteers people who have no training whatsoever be able to run it and you know the old adage that's hard to make things foolproof because fools are so ingenious how do you make it so simple and really clear to do this sort of a fairly complicated test. And so that was a, that was a great learning experience for me. Yeah. So that makes a ton of sense. You went into, you went into it thinking that, you know, 
you had the, the, the all the answers for all these different uh, domains, and I think everybody in their earlier in their career, you know, has that. I certainly do. Um, I don't know if I've shaken that yet, actually. <laughs> but uh, I have. It's been knocked uh, out you... of me. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you went, how did you know how to identify the right talent? Because as a CEO, you you know you're expected to bring in the right people, and I think everybody you know who's worth their salt knows that as a CEO. But being someone with no you know um, with no real business training coming from you know the academia, how did you how are you able to know like who's a great sales guy, who's a great manufacturing guy? Um, a little bit of trial and error, but also just reaching out to people. And I had several uh, great mentors. That was uh, really you know invaluable. The uh, first person who actually the first investor in my company called Sonomed was a fellow by the name of David Lubrano, uh, who was with Staples, the CFO of Staples. And uh, he was ruthless. <laughs> he would push me. And it was really great because you know he, he was asking questions of how are you going to do that? Just like you're asking me, but who are you going to get? How do you find a person? Well, I know a person you ought to talk to. All right. Now start drilling down. Does this make sense? Is it really going to work? How are you going to do that? What are the what are the metrics that you have to be watching? And that was one of the things that he really, uh, I think, put in, instilled in me, the idea that one has to have clear goals and clear metrics every step of the way. And you start with little pieces to build this up, whether it was initially getting a manufacturer and doing the testing, getting investors, bringing on your first uh, sale and, and moving up all the way through and yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense to me. I quote one of my old portfolio company founders saying that he's generally um, most successful when he clearly identifies um, what he's trying to do. Right? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> and it, it's such it's so it's so common, but in the startup environment, people get you know they start forming plans and you know. Um, initiatives and you know they execute on you know half-baked ideas like 30 to 40 percent of an idea that really hasn't been thought out so how do you, how did you balance execution versus strategy i don't know if there's ever a balance in that they are separate but they're also totally entwined in, in that unless one can execute on your goals you get nowhere the proper strategy means that you have to understand where you're going you know and when i talk to companies and i do my advisory and talking to young or newer entrepreneurs you know there's always the you have to ask the question of the what are you doing why are you doing this how are you going to get there but then the, the critical questions that really fall into the strategy side of the um, what if something goes wrong? Because it's going to. You know, what are you going to be doing? And the other piece that I've learned over the years is we're always operating on incomplete information. And so the question comes, how certain are you? you know, and if we look at this as, a, as a, a distribution, where are you on the curve? Am I very certain that this is the right way to go? Am I very certain that this will work? Am I very certain that the competitor is going to do that or customers are going to like this? How do you know that is another question, but, or am I quite uncertain? And the degree of certainty really translates into risk and strategy is really a game of risk. How am I going to move this forward? What's going to happen? That's so interesting you say that. I've heard somebody who used to look at financial models and he would actually color coat them, you know, red, red, yellow, green, and he would have intellectually honest conversations with his founders on what's the level of certainty with any of these assumptions. And it really drew a really great strategic discussion. 
Yeah. No, that's, you know, we, we often joke about the, the CEO being the, the chief decision officer, really. And so how are you able to move forward? And I think that's the other thing that uh, early uh, entrepreneurs and early CEOs have to uh, kind of grips with. One, I don't have the information, but I have to make a decision. You know, the old not making a decision is a decision. So how am I going to, one, get the information and how, how certain am I, how am I going to be able to move forward? And, you know, I, I remember in my early days, um, I used to play a lot of chess and uh, thinking, oh, chess was good training for business because it sharpens the mind. Well, tra- chess is terrible training for business. Gambling or if you play uh, Settlers of Catan, that's a great experience. And that's that's a great skill to learn because, you know, you, you're working on statistically what's the likelihood of something happening. And the other piece is don't confound the decision process and the outcomes, because sometimes you make, you know, the decisions are all the right way and it doesn't quite work out. There's an element of luck, there's an element of unknown that goes into there, but that decision process is really the key to the strategy and how does a successful entrepreneur move forward and companies that are successful have made the right decisions. And so you would have to make those decision processes with your team. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, going back to the earlier discussion about hiring the the competent team and a very good team, you know, a, a team, you always want to have people who are better than you at what they do, right? You bring them in and I assign responsibility. So, you know, each, the manufacturing group is in charge and responsible for making sure that the product is properly manufactured at cost and with quality. But an element of responsibility is authority. And so you have to give those people the authority to make those decisions. And with the responsibility, authority comes accountability. So, you know, if they tell me this is what we have to do, and they're quite certain this is what we have to do, we say, okay, what are we going to put on that? And, you know, whether it's a bonus or, you know, charging against their, their uh, you know, what they can move forward next time, and uh, then they go ahead. And that's what we do. So it's the responsibility, authority, and accountability. And, and I think that that's the other part that becomes really important is uh, you know, separating kind of an outcome from a decision-making, but also you never attack the person. So a decision might be wrong, an outcome might be wrong, there may be a mistake made, but if it was done for all the right reasons, what'd we learn? Right, exactly. So you brought Sonder to uh, an exit, and that was um, assumed a good outcome. Was it a strategic that bought it? Yes. Yeah, it was a NASDAQ listed company. Okay. And then so what was that like, going through that process? Well, that was my first time. Uh, and so <laughs> that, that was an eye-opener. Going through, uh, having somebody really tearing through the financials, the IP, the technology, um, it, it's, it's quite a process. And the, the first time you can never quite believe, you really want to go through this? Okay. <laughs> you know, and we'd spend two or three, three-hour sessions digging into the software and technology, um, going through all our books and, and that you didn't quite, you know, particularly as, a, as, a, as my first time going through, there are holes in the company that, you know, we didn't quite document things properly or there were little bits of uh, mess up. And uh, so all of those pieces was a, was a great learning experience for me. 
And uh, after you sold, you're in the CEO club. So how did you jump into another CEO gig? I mean, were you, did you take some time off? Were you just known in the industry? I mean, now you're just on the CEO train. Well, very interesting. Um, that's when I was recruited down to New Zealand to run this company called Spectranet that is in near-infrared spectroscopy. Um, again, that just comes through some connections. Uh, my physics background and the engineering side of it and they had a very interesting project, and um, we wanted to travel. So uh, we spent the next 10 years overseas, but uh, down in New Zealand, and then uh, subsequently from that, we went over to Australia and into Europe. And so was that the publicly traded company? That was uh, listed. It was uh, listed on the Australian exchange. What was that like? Um, again, that was an eye-opener. Um, you know, well, firstly, uh, it was it was a very small company, and you know, it wouldn't be listed on Nasdaq. It's it's not it's not that sort of a thing. Uh, the the funding, the investment structure is not present in New Zealand, at least at that time. It's it's grown certainly, but uh, a lot of companies went public really as a means to get funding, and uh, which is not a very good reason, in fact. But yeah, no, it it, it was it was really. Great. And subsequently, when I was with uh, Avita Medical Resale, NASDAQ was, you know, you, you learn how to deal with analysts. And, uh, you know, they have they have very little time for you. And so they drill questions. And so making sure that you're able to firstly pull out the numbers and make sure you're able to tell the story and really understand where you're going was, a, was again, uh, a great series of exper experiences. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that that's a very difficult um, um, skill set I heard to learn from being a promoter when you're trying to raise capital to all of a sudden, you know, playing the game of, you know, forward looking statements oh, and yes. not over, over pumping your audience. You're all critical. Uh, you have to know what you can hit and you want to you want to predict just under that. It has to be close enough that, it's, that you're not off, but you want to beat it. There's no question about it. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me that you cannot be super excited about your um, your thoughts on your company and, you know, really give really positive projections. But on the other hand, somebody can, a short seller could get on and just completely, you know, destroy your company. <laughs> you <know? laughs> his opinion. Yeah, so, I yeah. mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Well, that, that's part of, I, I guess, the art and the science of uh, making sure that you do project the enthusiasm, the positivity, um, the optimism, but understand where we really are, project the correct, I suppose, caution in, in making your projections and making sure that you can be, you know, w w with, a, with a public company, the concern always is, do these guys know what they're doing? Can I trust what's being said? You know, if, there's a, if I'm giving guidance, do I have any accuracy? And we look back and forwards about that and say, yeah, if this guy is regularly on time and hits things, terrific. And that's you know that that's true of every every aspect of your business, isn't it? I mean, whether it's the your sales team, uh, your development team, your software manufacturing, uh, you know, there's credibility, and and you earn that by hitting your numbers, hitting your promises, hitting your targets. And making sure, as you say earlier, uh, you know where you're going. Well, <laughs> you have to know you can get there. And the way you know you get there is by showing each step of the way. This is why I never want to be an operator. You just have to be so, like, 
you know, optimistic with your team and you really have to want to want to help them develop. I just don't have that kind of endurance. Yeah. Oh, no. It, well, that's that's really fine. That, that's interesting. Again, you say that, um, you know, positivity is obviously crucial and you have to have an optimism, but you have to be honest. And, and I think that's one of the elements that, again, early stage CEOs um, kind of fall down on in that there's always going to be a problem. And if you try and hide that or pretend it's not, well, the others know it <laughs> and they don't, they, they no longer believe you or we, we start heading towards a disaster and everyone's aware of it. But, you know, we keep on saying, rah, 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 it's going to be great. And, well, it's not going to be great. And most companies fail, as we know. And the reason they fail in part is because they aren't honest with each other and we don't lay out what are the real issues. They aren't, they aren't speaking truth to each other. Yeah, and I, I noticed spe that specifically on the investing front. You know, there's a fine line bet between lying and promoting. Sure. <laughs> you know, like, really, like, what is, you know, like, the, I got this versus, like, you know, everything is literally a dumpster fire. So how do you think about that? Y yeah. Oh, well, with investors, uh, again, this is, you know, in, in my first company, I, I guess I learned how to deal with investors somewhat, and I learned how to deal with the board. And, uh, you know, when I first started, I'll, I'll be honest here. I wasn't using my board. I was using my board as a, uh, as, as, you know, kind of a rah-rah and I tell them the good things and I didn't tell all the bad things. And I, I very quickly learned that talking with the board regularly, talking with your investors regularly, sharing the concerns makes everybody feel better. You know, if, if I have a problem that I think might come up, if I share it with you and you as an investor see this as you know, that I'm aware of it, it's on the radar. All right, how am I going to address it? And maybe it doesn't come up and we go, great. Maybe it does come up, but you're prepared for it. So, you know, the, the fact that you can have these sorts of communication and that means sometimes sharing bad news. It, 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 I think it's a really important step. You know, one of my, in, in my first company, I, this is a, a lesson I, I kind of learned. Um, we had some difficulty getting funding and we were we had about three months, maybe four months runway, and um, one of the people I was talking to was saying, you know, don't tell your team unless they should know. And and I maybe I made the foolish innocent mistake, but we had a, a team meeting with the whole group, and I said, this is where we are, and you know, I don't know if we're going to get funded. <laughs> we might we might be closing shop here, and if anybody wants to leave, go ahead. You know, no hard feelings. And of course, what happened? Well, just the opposite. Everyone buckled down because they say, okay, here we are. We can do this. This is the issue. This is what we're facing. We need to get this done. We ended up getting funding, move forward, and you know, the rest is history, as they say. But it's, it's again, it's, it's being honest. And people, people don't mind hearing the bad news as long as it's delivered straightforward and there's a, there's a solution to it. You know, none of the bitching, moaning, and whining approach of it. If this is what we got to do. This is a concern. We have to address it. And so a guy that's raised money and has had managed several boards and investors, information, transparency, very important. However, how did you manage expectations due to, you know, in, in, in an area where, you know, you don't have all the information when you're making budgets, when you're making performance. So how did you deal with personalities on the boards, people hammering their, 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 their fists because, you know, you didn't hit the number on the right column on the Excel sheet, dot, dot, dot. I, I guess it's, uh, you know, your, your currency is your 
Integrity is your currency. So if you are making wild promises and you're missing without an explanation, <laughs> a good explanation, excuses, then, then that's the real issue. As I go back earlier, if I'm letting you know these are the concerns. So it's not in our board meeting or not in our quarterly reports that you find out that we missed by 20%. It's quite a bit in advance saying, you know, this deal didn't come through. Because this isn't coming through, we're going to be down by this amount. Or we had an increase in costs such as this, or we tried to do something that didn't work in the dev cycle. And so, you know, all those things come forward. You as an investor, what are you looking for? Number one is no surprises, that you know what's going to happen. So there are certainly people who are going to have, uh, and I should back up saying, there have been a lot of very uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> There's no question about it. And I have missed targets and, uh, you know, it hurts. It, it's smart and people will unload on you, not without reason. Um, and that's that's the way it is. You have to you have to be able to accept that. I mean, you have to have a thick skin in this game. And again, you know, w when you're working, certainly with my team, um, we, we always say, you know, you, you never attack the person. You attack the outcome. You attack the goal or the failure, but never the person. And so, if we made a mistake, and I say we made a mistake because I agreed to doing these sorts of things. It wasn't just the manufacturing side. If we made a mistake, then the, the, it's not a blame game. It's a, what did we do wrong? What was our failure in our decision process? So strategically, how do we come up with these decisions? How did we decide to go ahead with it? And what went wrong? Uh, integrity is your currency. I really like that. And um, I, I really do appreciate the those founder heuristics of using we as the pronoun when you're addressing successes and failures, because uh, generally speaking, that, that says a lot about the person's character. So what was the next step after your Australian and New Zealand, uh, you know, ex adventures? Yeah, well, um, when, with the the Australian company, the medical device company, it was kind of interesting because um, I, I bought a competitor, which was my first acquisition, which is always, always fun, exciting. Um, I sold a division, a German division, and we were on a roll, and that's when we started a reverse takeover of a publicly listed company. Uh, this is called, it was at that time called Visiomed uh, Clinical Cell Culture, and then we renamed it as Avita Medical. But um, that was a whole nother step of really understanding that there is a way to, to make this move without just buying a company or, or changing it through. And the issue there was that uh, the, the company of Vita was not performing terribly well. There were several common board members on the two companies, my company and Vita, And so we put them together as a merger. Okay. That sounds exciting. Oh, it was exciting. It was, it was great fun. It was great fun. Again, it was, it was one of those uh, real learning experiences because of the scale uh, of, of just how you're doing this. And so then you went back to the U.S.? Then I'm, I was in England for a number of years. Um, and then moved back over to the U.S. in 2011, and uh, I've been here since. And then you went back full circle back to Sonomed, correct? I, I went briefly with Sonomed. That's right. That's right. And that's when we that's when we ended up selling it. Did the acquirer just like screw things up and they needed you back? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't quite say that, but uh, yes, yes. There, were, there, were, there were some <laughs> there were some issues. Um, the, 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 the company had kind of uh, fallen off track. And so we had to turn it around and, and get it profitable and get it back on track. 
so you went from being um, uh, a founder, you know, from scratch guy to a turnaround guy, mm-hmm. essentially. Yes. And then what's that like going in? I mean, coming into because that, that kind of goes into your into your work in into Omedics, which was our dumpster fire. Like how how does how does being a CEO of those types of companies differ from uh, just being a founder founder led company? Well, um, they're apples and oranges. Um, the turnaround is is really fun, um, it, you, you know, because you you come in and you have about maybe two months to really learn the business, the company's business, what went right, what went wrong, understanding financials, manufacturing, sales, all the different a- aspects of it, understanding the market, the competitor, all of these pieces, it's kind of a crash course and you have to pick it up very quickly. And again, um, you, you know, you come into a team that is typically, uh, they're at least unhappy. <laughs> at best, so, they're yeah. unhappy. <laughs> yes. And, you know, so you have people who, who are really discouraged. Um, some people who are angry, there's, there's typically conflict within the company, uh, whether it's on the board, within the management, within the teams that aren't, aren't gelling. And so uh, the first element is, uh, going back to integrity, you have to trust me. And I'm going to come in here and my job is, is to make you successful. How am I going to do that? What do you need? And so you sit down and have those honest discussions with people and, and you get them to talk about what is working or what's not working and what they want to do. And, you know, in, in many of these turnarounds, there's, uh, is a very much an element of, uh, blame people say, Oh yeah, well, yeah. these guys Politic. aren't doing this. Yeah. That's really, yeah. And you know, you got to get over that real fast. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. do not tolerate it. So if somebody starts pointing a finger, <laughs> you snip that finger off. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then it's, so, it's really a matter of, uh, again, understanding where we're going, what we're trying to do, put together a real plan. And I, I think the other element, and particularly with a, uh, well, with, a, with any stage company, really, but it's making sure you have small steps. You understand each step of the way. What's the, what's the goal here? Set it, test it, measure. Am I achieving it? What's the next step? And you go through that. And that gives you some small victories or some small bangs. Mm-hmm. And um, you realize that as a as a hired gun, you know, generally these turnarounds, the investors are pretty tired. You really only have one shot to to make you know some value there to make them believe to rebelieve in the company. So, how did you think about runway and and setting like what success looked like at the end of it? Well, uh, again, that's one of those things where you have honest discussions. So we we started sitting down with with. Uh, the, the patient portal company, um, you know, as, as I was brought in, it was to take a look at what's going on here and sitting down with the board, sitting down with the management team, making sure we understand it. Um, you, you, one piece, I go back to what you said earlier, you got to have a goal. What, what's the goal? What are we trying to do here? Uh, what's, what's achievable? What's realistic? And if it's going to be, we need to shave off costs, we need to increase revenues. We have to get to profitability. All right, how are we going to do that? These are the steps that we have to move on. So this is the process that we're going to go for. And you know, I, I start with very simple a ninety day plan. And these are the pieces that have to get accomplished. And it's a rolling ninety day plan. So as we go come through it, all right, update. What do we know? How do we adjust? How are we moving forward? 
And what you learned once you were in there, like we previously said, is that the product, which was kind of a push from meaningful use, they wanted to make it a requirement that, you know, these EHRs, well, first to have an EHR, then to have some type of engagement uh, with it, um, that it wasn't really a product that the people wanted. So, you know, what, what, what kind of, what, what was your strategy from there? And how did you ever get like brought into Omedics, by the way? I don't remember. <laughs> I never got that story. Yeah. How were how you so lucky? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I was uh, thinking of being semi-retired, and uh, one of the board members who had been involved with one of my earlier companies called me and asked if I would be willing to take a look at this and maybe come in an advisory role for a day or two, and that turned into full-time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't mean to. I wasn't planning on it. It just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. And so, and then tell me about the... Um you know, just the, the, the product kind of having a dead end, right. From a growth perspective and, and, and where the genesis of Q squared happened. Well, going back to the, the patient portal company. Um, yeah, as you say, the, the, the product wasn't well designed for usability. It was designed by some programmers and engineers who had a nice way of looking at things, but this is not how people want to be using it. And so we had to, uh, and it was a week as everyone had to come along with this, uh, understand that we had to do a total refactoring. We had to rewrite the software. We had to bring up to speed the user interface, you know, which was very poor, <laughs> put it that way. And you know, how do you make this into something that, that really works and becomes uh, attractive? And then the other part of that is a- expanding the partnerships and the roles that you're going to, not just trying to muscle through and sell yourself, but going to other groups and what do they want? How will, how will this help them? It's not a standalone company. You know, we had to be able to work with other EHR companies. We had to be able to work with other providers. And so what were they really looking for? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And you redesigned it. Thing didn't really work out. We, we merged it. And then you decided to, to go and start up a startup from zero. So well, it did which kind is, of work which out. Is pretty, which is pretty. Which is pr- It's pretty hard to to do that, especially. I mean, you've you've been was it your six or seven CEO gig, and you're starting from the from base level. So, what was that like? It, it, well, uh, again, it's a gas. It, it it was a lot of fun. You know, um, it's a whole lot easier starting a company when you have great relationships with a number of of people. My brother, who had been in medical sales and into this area. Uh, one of the, the CTO, Damien Hodge, who was a great CTO and, and worked with me previously. So we had a team to, to get started and we've all gone through this before. So, you know, I mentioned uh, in the sale of the first company, there were a lot of holes and a lot of things that we didn't have quite buttoned up with my other companies. As I sold them, you start learning what are the issues. And so right from the get go, we set this up to be sold. And, you know, made sure that everything was buttoned down, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, as they say, but making sure everything really was in place, whether it was the uh, share structure and so the capitalization uh, of the company and making sure we had, you know, enough residuals and how we're going to be pulling all these pieces together, making sure that we brought the right team in, understanding how to move forward with developing a, a product, getting it out there, talking to the right people, uh, finding some of the beta sites and the group that will really test this with you and working with them. And all of those things came together. With the investment side, 
um, this was an interesting one because we were in a fortunate position that we didn't really have to take investment, but in fact, we wanted to. And this is one of the decisions we had by bringing in a, a VC group because it, 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 it forces a level of honesty on you. <laughs> it's really easy to, you know, uh, we're talking to each other, but now if I have to talk to this third party and really lay it out and on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, make sure we're reporting to our goals. And that, that's, a, that's a great thing. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Having a board, regardless of taking an investment, is, is a great accountability measure. Yeah. And so you sold healthcare IT software, which is incredibly difficult. Um, your brother has had successful in the past, but how did you how did you um, how did you compete in a in a in a slew of companies that were venture backed that were selling you know payment copaying SMS you know I mean how did you get in there? I mean, the market's <laughs> big, but I mean Jesus, I mean this, that's a hard group to sell into. Well, it is. Uh, you know the 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 CFOs, the finance hospital finance, uh, is the most conservative of a very conservative market. Uh, and so we had to get in there and show that it worked, of course. But the the the, the first case, um, we were very much different than anything else that was out there. Um, you know, this to this day, uh, the majority of billing goes out to patients via paper mail. Something like eighty-five percent of people receive their bills by mail. Now, do you look at your mail? I don't, no. I don't look at my mail. Uh, Especially if it's a bill. It goes right in the trash. Exactly. <laughs> or, or, or at best, it goes in the corner of your desk. You know, um, And so people were not behaving that way. And then trying to, as, as I learned from the patient portal, from the patient experience company, people don't like to use portals. They don't want to log in. And how do we live? Well, we live on our phone. And I do everything on my phone. So why don't we make it just a very, very simple mobile-first approach, not a... Not a system that's built for a, a laptop and a big screen that you kind of squeeze into your phone, but make it a very, very simple process. And that's what we did. So we were we were unique in the in the space, right? And then what what was the the type of clients that you you targeted? I mean, were you doing onesie twosies to get up a client base first and you know get a proof of concept up before you know you started moving towards you know bigger regional? Yes. Groups. Yeah, we we actually first started with a which with the worst possible demographics. Uh, we, we went to a, a podiatrist who was a friend. Uh, he had a, a business. <laughs> the average age of the patients is about 73. And we said, if these people will pay, it's going to work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we were getting about 12% payment rates, which sounds very low, but they're still only getting about 45 to 50% payment rate anyhow. So this became extremely useful and interesting to us. And, you know, who is paying most of the bills? Well, it's 30 to 50 year old people. Typically, it's a woman paying for their family and handling those sorts and managing those sorts of expenses. And they live on their phone and they're very, very good at understanding how to use that technology. That's what they wanted. And that's what we delivered. And so as you continue to sell up market, right, to, to, to the bigger groups, were you able to get any scale with the uh, integrations when you were plugging in or was like every integration kind of like one of those custom type deals because this interoperability problem is, is real? Well, um, let's see. There's a couple of questions. First, I didn't answer your question, which I'll get back to of how we, how we went up market and expanded. But one of the pieces that I learned with the portal 
is doing these integrations is extraordinarily difficult because you are meeting the, you know, the ER, HR companies that don't want to play with you. And so, you know, every time you're, you're butting heads. So we skipped that. And what we did was <laughs> circumvent it. We didn't have to do any integration. In fact, one of the things that was so nice and so attractive is that for a hospital system to actually bring on the, the Q squared product, mobile pay, took about 15, 20 hours of work from their IT group, as opposed to nine or 10 months or 12 months for, for many of these other groups. And the way we did this is uh, just being smart and, and kind of clever in so far as uh, they already generate a bill and the information is being passed through. So if we just go through and scrape it and- Oh, so you use some like, oh, so do you use like robotic processing automation? It, it, essentially, yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. You know, I've been looking yeah. at a lot of companies that are that are, you know, working through that angle on on getting data. And I love the idea because it solves such a big problem. However, like I just I, I mean, clearly you were successful in selling to, to larger groups, but I always wondered, like, what was the security type, you know, concerns with with bigger groups and, and RPA? Sure. Uh, security is a, is a major concern, as it should be. Um, and many of the hospital systems are extremely rigorous. And, and we had to go through extensive testing with them that they did their drill downs. And we had to show uh, a number of different types of tests, intrusion, et cetera, um, that we were protecting that. Now, going back to your, your earlier question, um, and this, this, I think, is, a, is a, good, a good example of trying to learn. You know, we first thought that the ideal customer would be a medical billing company. And in fact, that's who was our, our first customer was. And they were great and they did real well by it. But in fact, it wasn't. And we thought that the big hospital systems would be ones we'd want to avoid. In fact, that turned out to be the best sites. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had to very much change what we were thinking. And um, we, our first, first hospital center was uh, Albany Medical. It worked out really, really well. And then we decided, you know, you, you don't want to have to work your way up the food chain. You don't want to start with the small, you know, offices and then the regional or local hospitals going up. So we started with uh, Mount Sinai and that was the, in New York City. So that was the first one. And you start getting these sorts of names that had a real pedigree that people know the name. So if we're in Mount Sinai, you know, all of a sudden, oh, really? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, those logos matter. Oh, it matters tremendously. And so that was that was worth the effort. And that's how we really went upscale. Then um, we very quickly recognized that we didn't want to be selling one-offs. I don't want to be selling one hospital at a time. And so you start working with some of these very large billing groups, um, R1, RCM, for instance, that have thousands uh, of hospitals under them. That's who you, you sell and you do a deal with them. They bring it out to their hospitals. Yeah, no that that makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, it's so funny. I see a lot of. I'm starting to really kind of explore healthcare IT and some tech enabled services, and it seems that the common trajectory for the go to market is always the onesie twosie practices because they can get a little bit more velocity on a sales cycle, so they can show investors traction. But th the rate of consolidation of these small clinics is outrageous, and the amount of cost that's associated. With integrating with these small practices is just untenable. That's right. It's, it's as much work for us to do a, you know, a, a two-person dental group as a Mount Sinai. 
Right. <laughs> you know, so it's exactly you just have to know how to sell to them and have you know the right salesperson that understands you know the multiple you know that yes have fifteen contacts. He's got to show you know, he's got to find budget. He's got to bring them all in the same room. Et That's right, and, and that always comes down to understanding who you're talking to and what their problem is. Uh, you know, you don't want to sell them a solution that they don't care about. Um, and getting in there is it becomes really important. Uh, again, this is this is we we benefited from uh, the what was going on in the world as in increasing it, it, it costs for the payers. Uh, and patients now are paying more and more of these um, high deductible healthcare costs. The uh, individual payments now were becoming a very important portion of the revenue for these hospitals, and they had to have a way of dealing with it, and they simply weren't dealing with it well. And so all these came together. And then um, we benefited from the uh, pandemic, as in uh, hospitals were really getting hurt. Uh, They needed to make sure they were collecting the monies. Um, There was a shift over to some of the telemedicine. So the actual dollar value of the collections were going down, but their costs of sending out paper and things like that were going up. And so here we avoided all that and we reduced costs by 40 to 50% for these hospitals, which is very significant when you start thinking about the millions of dollars a month (laughs) that they are spending on, on this sort of these. Yeah, timing, timing and luck definitely help. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No question so about Bill, it. So, Bill, so the Bill Dolphin book of CEO, Manual of Being a CEO, what's chapter one, two, and three? The most important chapters. Or maybe it's the last three chapters. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's a three-chapter book. What are the three core things a founder and CEO should learn and internalize to be great? Number one, how to make a decision and recognize that they have to ask all the questions before any decision is made, but being able to move forward. The second is integrity and absolute brutal honesty uh, uh, within the group to your investors, internal and external. And thirdly, um, the the adage I always use, my kids make fun of me, but life is an awareness game. And so making sure that you are adequately aware of what is going on out there within your company and outside for the market, for the target market you're going to, for the competition. So being aware. That's great. That's great. All right. Time for some canned uh, questions for you, Bill. What is your favorite book? <laughs> uh, gosh, there's, uh, I actually have it right behind me, one of my favorite books. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, whole slew of books, I, I'd like to say. Um, it, it, the uh, anti-fragile is probably one of my favorites. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard great things about one. Yeah. That's been mentioned on this show before. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's, that's a good one. It's a good way to think. Mm-hmm. And what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Be honest, always. Nice, nice. Not, not, not bad at all. Everybody, that is the Capital Stack. Where we have an episode every Tuesday. Uh, we are on all your major platforms, both uh, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Please leave a review uh, and a comment. You know, if you want to cancel me, that's okay. I don't think I'm important enough to be canceled. But uh, we drop an episode every Tuesday, and we will see you next week. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. 
David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.